From the Center for the History of Business, Technology, and Society at the Hagley Museum and Library, this is Stories from the Stacks. Each episode, we share new discoveries in the history of American enterprise and its impact on the world, made by researchers using our collections. My name is Taylor Curry, and I am a master's student at Queen's University in Kingston, Ontario. So I'm studying the creation of consensus culture in the 1950s, um, what we kind of call liberal consensus. But through my research, I found that it actually predates the Cold War, and I understand it kind of coming from corporate tactics in the Great Depression. So I'm doing a case study using DuPont's Calvocate of America, which is a radio program. And I'm looking at how corporate-sponsored radio for entertainment purposes is um, a vehicle for consensus politics. But it kind of rises out of this bigger project of selling free enterprise after the Great Depression. And we see it kind of develop during the first, the Second World War, sorry, um, and how it's kind of, it gets wrapped up into patriotism and everything. And then by the Cold War, it becomes its own kind of living, breathing thing. And that's what we call consensus politics or consensus culture. Kind of how I understand it is we have these, these visions of the Cold War as being, um, you see the happy homemaker and the businessman father and um, everybody lives in the suburbs and it's rooted firmly in free enterprise and in um, productivity and consumerism. So those kind of that trifecta is what the Cold War is kind of defined as or that's what people think of. So um, we kind of as the general public take that for granted. We just kind of assume that there was this consensus during the Cold War, but in reality it was a fabrication by the government and by corporate America. They on purpose were trying to promote these ideals of free enterprise, consumerism, production, um, for their own their own agenda. Well, the government, obviously, in the during the Cold War, it was to fight against communism. So the Americans had this sort of American-style capitalism democracy, and then it was versus the Soviets with the totalitarian business. And then for the corporate people, obviously, they wanted to, to sell free enterprise more so um, for profit. So they were doing it for money, and obviously it's good to foster this kind of anti-communist, um, pro-American idea because they're selling their products and they're growing their company, whereas the government was trying to contain, they were trying to contain communism and sort of adverse societal things. So anything from like homosexuality to race issues were tied up into this really weird consensus project. I was originally interested in doing documentaries and how that was a vehicle for sort of government propaganda in the Cold War. But they're actually pretty hard to come by and as, like a, as a master's student, I have limited resources. So it was suggested to me to look at radio because so much of it is available online. There's people love old time radio and they've made archives that you can access for free. So I thought, hmm, that's a really good idea, cool. So then I started reading up about this kind of consensus politics and Calvocade's or DuPont's Calvocade is one of the first prime examples of institutionalized broadcasting. So business sponsored radio, it's a, it's a very big, um, clear example of it. So I thought, well, this is perfect. Um, I was originally going to compare it with um, Kellogg's Superman 
Um, but I thought there's so much work here, just DuPont alone. So I said, why, I, why bother doing that? Let's just focus on DuPont. And so I kind of, I started listening to all of the radio, pro, radio broadcasts online. And then when I came to Hagley, I wanted to cross-reference the radio sources with sort of more institutionalized um, advertising. So I'm looking at their Better Living magazine, which is the um, stat, the magazine for their staff. But I'm also looking at magazine advertisements and how they're they're selling free enterprise in the advertisements and how that correlates to the radio program. And then Hagley also has a great, they have a great archive of all the, for not all of the programs, but most of the programs from each episode. And it's nice because it has the introductory remarks and then the closing remarks. And those opening and closing is where the propaganda is. It's, they're either selling a product or they're selling an American value. And each episode is supposed to correlate to the value that they're, they're broadcasting. So that was a very good resource because now I don't have to go back and kind of transcribe the radio programs myself. I have the programs and I can just use those. Like I said, I'm trying to use these programs, these broadcasts, to illustrate these, um, these American values, which corporate America and the government wanted to endorse for the people. Why I find these interesting is because they're for entertainment purposes. They're not supposed to be very obvious propaganda, like very obvious business propaganda. So Cavalcade is actually started out as a um, like a historical drama. So each episode was supposed to be a little known historical fact in American history. And then, but they also did biographies of famous people like Abraham Lincoln, George Washington and stuff. And so based on these historical incidents or these biographies, um, you're supposed to, it's supposed to have kind of like an undercurrent of another value. So enterprise is a big one, overcoming obstacles, production, and because it's DuPont's a chemical researching company, they really focus on scientific research and how this kind of improves humanity and makes life easier. And then in the, by the World War II, you see um, kind of a shift away they still do are doing historical dramas, but now they're also introducing fictionalized accounts, and it'll be they'll do like life on the home front, and it'll be like a family just kind of going about their their life during the war, and they continued that trend after the war as well. They would do their there's an episode about um, soldiers coming home from war and like them adjusting to adjusting to home life after the war and stuff. So those. They're fictionalized accounts, but they're supposed to be based on real things that would have been going on in American society at the time. So it's interesting. It's while it's a historical, it's supposed to be a historical drama. Obviously, it's influenced by the events that are happening at the time. So it's very interesting just to listen to, and it was immensely popular with teachers. They would play it in to supplement history lessons because the, like I said, even though they started doing fictionalized accounts, they still had historical episodes. And they're they're pretty historically accurate. They had they had um, Yale historians on the they had like a board to do fact like fact checking, and I guess um, audience members would write in letters if the, if they if they was wrong and they would they would correct it if they did a later broadcast. So that's kind of what Calvacade is supposed to be a historical drama. Dupont is the sponsor for the show, and their advertising agency. BBDO, I believe, is their advertising agency, um, or was their advertising agency, is responsible for the production. And so they they made the show. And so 
it worked really well for the networks because then they were guaranteed a time slot and they didn't have to worry about producing the show. They just had a show at the time slot and it was really good for the business because they are essentially, even though they're paying for the show, they're getting advertising. So when I mentioned earlier the closing remarks, a lot of the time it's things like um, a story from chemistry or today's story from chemistry and it's normally like a DuPont product being like, oh, DuPont has been working on this product. This, it's essentially like, it would be like a commercial, like an advert, like, but again, it was kind of crafted to go with the, the theme of the show and always the theme of research to improve life, to improve the future. Well, I hope my, I hope the paper ends up being interesting as the source base, but it's definitely an interesting thing to listen to and Sometimes it's funny, sometimes it's sad, sometimes you're just scratching your head thinking, what were they thinking when they wrote this? But it's a, it's a really fun source base because I was going to do Cavalcade anyways, and then um, I wanted to do some primary document research for my um, Cognate, so um, through kind of process of elimination or through my research, I found Hagley through kind of like footnotes, you know, when you're going through to see what other people's source base is and stuff. So because Calvacade is such a huge part of this institutionalized broadcasting, a lot of people reference the archive and they mention the source base. It was a national radio broadcast. And I don't have demographics or I'm not really a huge number cruncher. But it didn't have a, from what I understand, it didn't have a huge fan base because it was so, it was very educational. But people were listening across the nation. And it changed networks a bunch of times. I think it went from um, CBS to NBC. In my documents, it like lists like DuPont in their magazine. It's always like, this many people tuned in last week because it, um, it was a weekly show and it aired from... 1935 to 1953 and then it switched to television and it aired on tv for like they produced television shows so it had enough of a fan base that the company was willing to keep to keep sponsoring it but um obviously it was a big hit with teachers so young people listen to it but then you get letters written by older people as well so i feel like the demographics were pretty wide but yeah it was a national radio broadcast. <laughs> because I'm focusing on early Cold War, I'm primarily looking just at the radio. If my project was bigger, and I think for my dissertation next year, my PhD, I'll probably still focus on DuPont, and I want to expand it out larger to not only look at the radio, TV, but then other their other campaigns. So just kind of for sake of being con um, concise, I'm not looking too much at the TV. I do, I do have kind of a short section about the transition from radio to TV just to be kind of coherent. But I was primarily interested in radio because radio is understudied in early Cold War. And I, to me, I find that it's crucial in understanding this, this consensus project, especially when we look at how I look at it starts in the Depression era. So you're able to chart the project with radio and you kind of see it change and grow through the the eras. So that's why I'm focusing on radio. But the television format is very similar to the radio format. They didn't really change much. In fact, 
a lot of the early TV scripts are just rehashes of the radio scripts. And they've used the exact same, and it's just you're watching now instead of listening to it. There is a lot of documentation, like written documentation on it. Like all of um, BBDO's audience research is available, and I kind of took like a very brief look at that. Like all of the budgeting is there. I am really excited about... And this is going to sound weird because I'm studying radio, but I'm a very visual person. So I like print media and I've been really enjoying the um, advertising tear sheets. So just like the big magazine um, adverts. And I, you guys have a collection from the 1920s, I think almost to the 80s. I'm not sure, but I've obviously been looking at the 30s to the 50s and just being able to like see, see the actual physical um, advertisements to me is really interesting, especially because you read about some of these advertisements are pretty well cited in books that I've read. So being able to like see them and hold them in my hands was like a little aha moment for me. And I've also really enjoyed the Better Living magazine because you guys have all of the magazines kind of cataloged. And again, that's really interesting being able to see and like take a look at what the, the company was kind of what they were trying to do off the air, as well as on the air. But it, that, to me, has been a joy. <laughs> My overall experience at Hagley has been super pleasant. Everyone has been so helpful, so kind, and everything's very well organized. It hasn't been difficult to find anything. So I've definitely been enjoying myself. You get to spend more time with the documents as opposed to kind of trying to root for the documents. So I've definitely been having a lot of fun, and I hope to come back maybe not necessarily next year, but in a couple years when I'm really heavy into my dissertation research because there's so much. That's almost the problem. There's almost there's so much that, and I only have a couple days here, so you want to look at everything, but you need to slow down and kind of look at the important stuff. So hopefully I get to come back and look at more stuff, especially the television stuff for sure. Thank you for listening to Stories from the Stacks. For more information on the Center for the History of Business, Technology, and Society, and the Hagley Museum and Library, visit us online at hagley.org. That's H-A-G-L-E-Y dot O-R-G.